is the 77 WABC minicast. It's the mill with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the mill with Anthony Weiner. Thank you for meeting me in the middle sometime every Saturday at 2 when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and we try to bring some context to the news of the week or perhaps a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. Great to have you along on this hot September day. Eva's on the board. Christian taking your calls on 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And Kevin is back supervising us all. So great to have you along. This is a two-hour show now. Thanks to all of you and the great support you've given it. They double the amount of time I had. And also because so much news has been going on. And then at 4 o'clock, Curtis Lee comes in, left versus right. One of the many shows that Curtis does. Everything Curtis does turns to kind of gold. People love listening to him. And he and I had a chance to fill in a little bit for Sid this week. We filled in on Labor Day. It was a great morning with him. I learn a lot when I'm on with Curtis principally that he's one taco short of a combo, but all in all, he's been great in helping me learn radio, and he'll be here for left versus right between four and five. We'll hear about his latest escapades, trying to limit, change, move where the mayor and the city are trying to place recently arrived migrants. You can listen to us on Terrestrial Radio 770, or I hope you get the app to Make it easier. You just press the button, listen to what's going on. Also, it has access to a podcast. Speaking about podcasts, I did a whole podcast for the, uh, for the for this thing I do called The Middle Unplugged, which comes out on Wednesday, where I just introduced them to you, the radio audience, because it seems like we have a very different listenership. And we did The Migrant Crisis. We're going to do a little more about that today. And, um, and we're also going to do something a little later, maybe in the second hour, about the J6, the January 6 defendants who got sentenced this week. And you might be surprised to hear my take on that. Let me just say that. Um, it was a great week for me. I had my birthday also on Monday. Uh, Jordan and I, when we, when I got done with Curtis filling in for Brian and filling in for Sid, Jordan and I went upstate. As I mentioned last week, we went fishing a little bit. A buddy of mine has walking distance from a lake and a little dock. And it was, it was a little bit rough in that it was very hot. 
you remember last week it was very hot. This this hot streak has been quite the thing. And um, also we had some technical problems with our rods and reels and everything else. And so and Jordan also wanted me to frequently change the setup. Like when you're fishing, again, I'm not a fisher man. I'm learning it as I go. But apparently what you're fishing for, and I guess this is intuitive, you change the setup, what your hook situation looks like, how much different things like that. And so, and so when we were fishing in the ocean, the first couple of times we went, apparently that's very important, but we were just fishing in a lake and I made the calculation with my little fishing rod. It didn't really matter. So I put on a, like one of those bobber things. I put on a hook and I put on some bait and that was it. But Jordan kept wanting me to change the different setups. He was being impatient. He was being an 11 year old going on 12. And also, he was getting a little bit discouraged because we weren't catching anything. We were getting some bites, we weren't catching anything. And then on what would be almost, it was close to the last cast we were going to do of the day. Um, Jordan reels in. He asked me to change the setting on his, his thing. So I said, all right, you take my rod and while I'm doing this, changing the, the lead, I think it's called. Um, and I hear him yelling from behind me. He brings in what must have been a six, five and a half, six pound bass on the, on the not very fancy setup that I had. And he was over the moon. I'm so happy. And we got video and we got pictures. He has a story. Um, and the irony or the coincidence, I wasn't even looking at the time. I wasn't standing on the dock. I was too busy trying to work on his gear, but still it was, it was a nice birthday. Um, many, many folks who listen to the show sent me notes at WienerWABC at Gmail or on Twitter or whatever to say happy birthday. Thank you for all that. I'm 59 now. In addition to that, when we had the big WABC gala you've heard folks talk about on Thursday night in honor of Cousin Brucey, but also celebrating John Katsimatidis' birthday, um, they did a thing where the centerpieces were guitars that were signed by Cousin Brucey, the coolest things. And it wasn't until the end of the night that Chad gets up there and announces, here's what we're going to do with these. Everyone, you know, uh, whoever is born closest to today's date, like basically a celebration of birthdays or whatever it is, uh, you get to take the guitar home. And um, I don't know. I don't know how many people wanted it, but I thought it was a cool thing to bring home for Jordan and being born just three days earlier. So that was really cool. A really cool night, by the way. You've probably seen some some pictures and videos on social media. So that was very nice. A ton of news. 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. We're going to get to a couple of big issues, but a lot went on this week. Um, we're coming up on the commemoration of 9-11, and there has been this conversation going on about the 9-11 prisoners, the five prisoners who have still, all these years later, not been tried. And there was some conversation about what terms or conditions there might be for a plea bargain for them. And <clears throat> this has been widely misreported. You know, like, let's just let them off easy. You know, the idea is it's it's been this long since September 11th and there have been no trials because it's very, very complicated trying these guys for a whole bunch of reasons. They can't, you know, they have to, first of all, a lot of the information that they make them out in trial was gotten as a result of torture, that the CIA tortured these guys. It's not, that's not big news. We, what do they call it, advanced interrogations. And so judges are going to rule most likely that a lot of it 
is not admissible. And so it's really hard to do that. Plus, you know, there are health concerns and things like that. And one of them is, is not, is not mentally fit to stand up. So, so this has been going on for a very long time. And, uh, so <clears throat> the notion has been raised with the families and with the administration about, you know, is there willingness to try to plea bargain this so we, so we find them guilty? And many family members have said no. Joe Biden said some conditions that they're asking for he would not agree to as a matter of policy. So um, it looks like the 9-11 prisoners still won't be tried anytime soon. There's not even a date set. A date had been set for 2021, COVID postponed that, and there's not even a date set at this moment. Also in related news about that, you know, you know you've heard me rail on, against the Saudis, who, by the way, this week announced that they're going to reduce their oil output. Some allies, these guys are the worst. Anyone who describes the Saudis as allies just doesn't understand the history. But recently, in what was an obvious turn that was eventually going to happen, the leaders of Twitter X, um, Elon Musk, announced that they were going to sue the ADL, of all things. And the ADL has been calling out anti-Semitism on all social media platforms and how dangerous it is and blah, blah, blah. And one thing to keep in mind about the Saudi, about Twitter is they are largely owned by Saudi investors. These things are not unconnected. Um, and in related news, there was, and I predicted this, there was a higher court, a court of appeals ruled on this injunction that a lower court handed out saying government can't tell social media platforms or put pressure on them what to say and what not to say. And I remember, if you remember, I did an episode on this a couple of, a couple of weeks ago where I said, I think the left, anyone who thinks this is a win for the right, no, we should all be concerned about the federal government telling social media platforms what they can and can't do. Now, that is very different from calling them up or going in and giving them reports, say, here's how the Russians or here's how the Chinese or here's how disinformation is affecting our national security and telling them, getting those kinds of notices out there, but putting pressure on them. Uh, now when a court of appeals is struck down, let's see if this goes all the way to, to, to the uh, Supreme Court. And in Hunter Biden news, this we saw coming. Um, now that the plea deal has been thrown out, now there's no place to go except to charge Hunter Biden with the crimes. And now the, it, is, it came out in a filing that the special prosecutor is going to charge Hunter Biden with this federal gun crime that he – um, was technically an unlawful user of drugs, and then he filled out a, hand, a handgun application that said that he was not, saying that he was a lawful, um, uh, he, he was not an unlawful user of drugs. Basically, he, did not, he lied about being on drugs. And um, the reason, and, and this, I've, they're going to have a very tough time proving that case and making it stick for two reasons. One, now that the that the Justice Department and the special prosecutor has offered him a plea deal on that. His lawyer, Hunter's lawyer, is going to go into court and say, Your Honor, you can't pull this plea deal back because now it's out there in the public record that my client was prepared to agree to it. So what does that say to any jury we're going to have? This kind of thing, this is this is routine now. Now, once, once an offer is out there, you can't charge the guy once you pull it back. So I think that's one problem. And then the other problem is you remember this, this Bruin decision from about a year ago, saying that you can only have restrictions 
on gun use that were basically found somewhere consistent with the way they were back in the day, back in the day that that the the the, the Second Amendment was written. So in August, there was a case of this that a drug user was banned from owning guns, and he challenged it based on this new law. And the court said, yeah, you can't restrict this guy who had been using marijuana from having guns because while, I mean, the court said you can have some restriction, but it does not justify disarming a sober citizen who used drugs in their past. And so I think Hunter Biden probably will not get be found guilty of that. And then you've just got the tax charges that are left. Um, so that's that. So let's do some numbers of the week. Uh this is something I like to do each week or some interesting number or numbers that appear in the news to give us some context. 1,150 people have now been charged in the attack um, on September 6th, on January 6th. Half of them, more than half, have already pled guilty. And of the dozens who risked going to trial, and I use that word intentionally, only two uh, have been acquitted. And this week, the big guys from the Oath Keepers um, were found guilty uh, of these, of the biggest problem, they were conspiring essentially to overthrow government. That's not exactly what they did, but basically that's what they're accused of doing. Now, why do I mention this? Because in the second hour, I want to talk about something. That Enrique Terry was sentenced to 22 years. It came out that um, that he could have pled guilty to uh, to nine years under a plea bargain. Uh, Eden Nordian pled guilty to 18 years, and he decided not to take a plea bargain of six to eight years. And Joseph Biggs was sentenced to 17 years. It could not have, but he could have pled guilty to six and to eight years. Zachary Rural got 15 years. He could have pled to six years. These are plea bargains that plea offers that were made to them. Dominic Pozzola, 17 years. He had a recommendation of four to five year sentence. So why do I mention this? That to me seems unconstitutional. When you say to someone, if you go to trial and you want to have your day in court, you risk a two or three times higher sentence. Something is very wrong. And I can speak to this because it happened to me. It's called the trial penalty, and we're going to talk about that in the second hour. Finally, in a similar in a, in a similar vein, 47 years. That's what Leonard Mack served. Uh, well, he didn't serve the entire time, but he was found guilty of rape. 47 years later, he's thought to be the longest time ever after an exoneration has taken place. It was overturned because they got DNA evidence. They ran it through the system again. And it turned out that this guy had served, I think, 12 years and had been a convicted rapist in the eyes of his community and eyes of the law for 47 years, and he was exonerated. Just a little FYI here. Black men are 7% of the population. They account for 47% of the exonerations. So those two issues go together, the idea of constitutional overreaching. And now the numbers about the issue I want to talk about today. 20,000, that was the number of immigrants that were admitted to New York City in 1946. 20,000. 
Between 1990 and 94, the average number was 112,598. We've now had about 107,000 asylum applicants, which isn't the whole population of emigres, that have come here since last spring. And last week and a couple of episodes I've done, you know, talking about this issue. And that we've talked about it some with Curtis. But this week, after saying lots of things about it, we heard the longest explanation of what um, Eric Adams thinks about this. The impact that he thinks it's having on our city. And the impact he thinks, what he thinks about the future of our city dealing with this problem. And when we come back from the break, I'm going to do something that we haven't done yet here on the radio. And to my knowledge, hasn't been done on the radio anywhere in New York City yet. I'm going to play not just that cut that you might have heard about him saying that he thinks this bad. I'm going to play for you the full almost three-minute diatribe that he went on. And then I'm going to explain to you the many ways that I think not only were his words wrong, but I think that his tone was wrong and his conclusion were wrong. It is going to be the first episode of WWWD. What would Wiener do? I ran for mayor twice. I still look at the city as if I were running, like, boy, there ought to be a law for this, or I wish they would change that. And I am someone who supports Mayor Adams, and not knowing what the choices are, I imagine I'll be voting for him again. But this might have been the worst two minutes and 22 seconds, however long it is, a little longer than that, that he's had in his administration. And when we come back, I am going to play it, and then I'm going to fillet him like a fish that Jordan and I might have caught. Great to have you along on the middle, 800 WABC 800-848-9222, and we'll see you on the other side of the break. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Wake up, wake up, wake up, it's a new day, the sun's coming up, there's no rest for the wicked, move it, grind it, let that paper flow, suck it up like Legos, you can't knock the hustle, I fail and I lose sometimes, people talk trash and I'm confused with life, oh I'm so, so frustrated, And welcome back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That's who's that? new politics bringing us back in with Comeback Kid. 
800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. All right, we're going to get into a conversation about the migrants, but a little, we're coming in at a little bit different way this week. Because the mayor did a town hall meeting, for those of you who are not, you know, civically engaged, politicians do town hall meetings all the time. I did dozens of them. I really enjoy doing them. People have different formats for doing them. Mayors usually go to a town hall meeting. They bring everyone in the kitchen sink, every commissioner, everyone, you know, because there's frequently stuff that they don't know. I, If I were mayor, I probably wouldn't do that as much. But the idea is that everyone gets an answer thing. And the way he does his is he has tables. This one was in the Upper West Side. And as part of his opening remarks, before you take in any questions, um, Eric Adams, I think, talked about what might have been on a lot of people's minds. But it's worth noting, in the duration of this town hall meeting, which went for about two hours, it wasn't a big source of questions. These people in the Upper West Side, they have a homeless shelter they're concerned about. They have other things. But the migrant crisis per se was not a big – but he came right out of the box and had something to say about it, clearly thought through, clearly intentional. Now, in the course of this week, not only have you heard it, but all it's made news around the country because of a clip of it, a cut of it, of about 35 seconds or so where he talks about – that this being the end of, basically the end of the city as we know it and the problem. But I wanted to be sure that if we're going to discuss this, that we had the full context. Now, I know close to three minutes is a long cut for radio, but we're going to do it now. This is Mayor Eric Adams at a town hall meeting on the Upper West Side this week. In 20 months, we turned this city around in 20 months. And then what happened? Started with a madman down in Texas, decided he wanted to bust people up to New York City. 110,000 migrants. We have to feed, clothe, house, educate the children, wash their laundry sheets, give them everything they need, health care. And this team here. We stated, let's do everything possible before we have to push it out into neighborhoods and communities. Month after month, I stood up and I said, this is going to come to a neighborhood near you. Well, we're here. We're here. We're getting no support on this national crisis. And we're receiving no support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life, have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to? I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just getting Venezuela. Now we're getting Ecuador. Now we're getting Russian-speaking coming through Mexico. Now we're getting uh, Western Africa. Now we're getting people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City. And everyone is saying it's New York City's problem. Every community in this city is going to be impacted. We got a $12 billion deficit that we're going to have to cut Every service in this city is going to be impacted. All of us. And so I say to you, as I turn it over to you, this is some, some of the most 
educated, some of the most knowledgeable, probably more of my commissioners and deputy commissioners and chiefs live in this community. So as you ask me a question about migrants, tell me what role you played. How many of you organized to stop what they're doing to us? How many of you were part of the movement to say, we're seeing what this mayor is trying to do, and they're destroying New York City? It's going to come to your neighborhoods. All of us are going to be impacted by this. I said it last year when we had 15,000. I'm telling you now, with 110,000, the city we knew, we're about to lose. So there it is. That's three minutes. I have to tell you something. I mean, so what's the job of a mayor? I mean, it's kind of three parts, roughly speaking. One is you're, you're running a city of 300,000 some odd employees, a major, you know, a major organism, a major, a major functioning. I, to call it a company would be, to overstate companies, a major organization. The second is you're the voice of a city. You're the voice that's supposed to reflect the city. It's you've and you've got to have policies that you express. That's kind of our domestic policy. And then you've got to be the voice of all cities. That's kind of like it's and and the ability to go talk to other levels of government and other people. That's kind of like our foreign policy. You got to be in charge of all that stuff. That's what it means to be a mayor. In that speech that he just gave, Eric Adams failed at all three things. First of all, he talks about we achieved all these things at the at, uh, and uh, uh, um, in just twenty months, and then this thing happened. This thing that happened is what your job is. <laughs> it's like the same. You know, when Donald Trump says, oh, we'll only count three years of my presidency. Don't count the year with COVID that I, that I messed everything up. No, you, you get judged by how you deal with things. And you say it was this madman in Texas. Look. A lot of what he said in that speech was wrong factually. We don't have a $12 billion deficit. Now, we might. I mean, if, if this keeps going in 2026, we might. We have a $100 billion budget. The state has a big budget. The federal government has a big Yeah, we might. But this whole idea that this is the end of the world is not the way to run the city. It's not the way to speak for the city. Now they're coming from all over the globe. What do you mean now? People have been coming from all over the globe to New York City since the creation of our country. I've never seen a problem like this before. I don't see an end. Oh, really? We had 40,000 people die of COVID. We're coming up on the commemoration of 9-11 when 343 firefighters lost their lives. We had a financial collapse in 2008 that devastated our, 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 well, an entire pillar of our economy. Yeah, this is what it means to be a mayor. And then you ask the audience, 
What have you, how have you organized to stop what they are doing to us? You're the mayor. Start by putting on your big boy pants and accepting the responsibility to deal with this problem and stop whining about it. You're not a talk show host on WABC. You're responsible for this. And let me give you a contrast. You know how I read in the numbers of the week? I read the average number of immigrants that we got between 1990 and 1994. Now, why did I choose those numbers? Because I found a fascinating document online called The Newest New Yorkers, 1990 to 1994, a briefing booklet put out by Mayor Rudy Giuliani, where it talks about the last, not the last, but another big influx of immigrants that we had gotten. And I was in office at the time. A lot of them came from Eastern Europe. A lot of came from the, the fallen Soviet Union. And the difference is, in this document, and everything surrounding it, including the Mayor Giuliani's words, was a consistent through line that goes like this. Immigration is a consistent part of the way New York City stays great. Whenever we lose population and we start to fret, when we have empty, empty, empty um, buildings in the Bronx on fire, when we have population loss that leads to a slower economy, when we are trying to figure out what to do with empty school buildings, what winds up saving us? Immigration. And people say, well, I don't like this type of immigration. This happens. It creates a challenge every single time when it does. I'm going to read you from this document that Mayor Giuliani put out. Given the substantial out-migration from the city, immigrant flows have helped us shore up the city's population over the past four decades. Between 1970 and 1980, the city lost over 10% of its population. Were it not for the entry of 783,000 immigrants in the 1970s, the city's population would have declined. We lost a half a million people uh, um, during and after COVID. But what does this come down to, Mayor to Mayor Adams. The way this gets back to Mayor Adams is this whole idea of him saying, oh, this is something that happened to us. And this notion of they and this, they and this. This is what it means to be the mayor. Are there appropriate places to place people when, when we, yes. Are there inappropriate? Yes. Are there expenses associated with these things in the short term, and I say short term because study after study after study shows that, yeah, there are some short-term costs, but long-term benefits to our economy. And so now he's getting quoted on Fox News, and he's getting quoted by Kevin McCarthy, and everyone's loving, oh, he's, oh, how he's blasting, you know, whoever for immigration. When you're the mayor of the city of New York, you are a spokesman not only for New York City, but for cities. Everywhere. You're the guy. And that two minutes and 51 seconds or whatever it was, was someone complaining. Someone with his tail between his legs. Someone saying, I've never seen anything this big. Yeah, well, some of us have, pal. 
Some of us have. And when you aspire to be the mayor, one of the things you aspire to do is to be there when tough things happen. What makes a mayor great? What makes a mayor great is if you're there when tough things happen. When you're there during a depression, when you're there during 9-11, when you're there doing things that the city needs you to step up and you do it. And that's what Mary, that's what Eric Adams had to say for two minutes and something seconds on the Upper West Side. And we'll be right back. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. God then was blessed by the gods of me and you. We had it was for to find ourselves some truth. Oh, what you waiting for? No, what you waiting for? We counted all our reasons, excuses that we made. We found ourselves some treasure and threw it all away. And welcome back to the middle. We're talking about immigration. We we're, we're going to start at the top of the hour talking a little bit about the January 6th defendants and something called the, well, I didn't come up with this, called the trial penalty where they offer you a strong incentive in terms of a very, very, a much lighter sentence in order to take a plea of yes. And then if you don't, if you want to exercise your right to a trial, the penalty is three and four times as much. And I think that it, what it's serving to do is to eliminate our right to a, to a trial. We now only have 3% of our cases go to trial now. And I think that's a problem. And I have some personal experience with this. But we're talking about immigration to start. Now, a couple of people, the board's filling up. And, and so I'm, I'm going to do a little more. And then I think we're going to cut into the next hour and start to, and do some calls on this also. People have a lot to say. But I, t- I said this was about WWWD, what would Wiener do? And... A lot of this is about that. It's all three parts of the job. Now, I said that all three parts of the job are being failed by Mayor Adams with, the, with talk like that. You know, when you're running a city of 300,000 people, part of what you're doing is inspiring them and talking to them when, with your actions. You're their boss. I don't see a way out of this. We're, gonna, we're losing the city that we have. There are people whose job it is is to try to help solve this problem. They don't want to hear you say that. People investing in the city don't want to hear you say that. And I would I would talk about this the way I've been talking about it on the radio the last several weeks. Honestly. I would say it honestly. It says, listen, this is a big challenge. This is an expensive challenge because unlike other cities, we have alone in the country, alone in the country, we have a right to housing that maybe we wouldn't agree to today. But it's the law. And it's not just any old law. It was a consent decree entered into by parties to a lawsuit by Ed Koch to say there is this right to housing. And I would say that that's going to cost, it's going to cost us because of this. And then I would have said, if you want to know who's to blame for this, I have explained the last couple of weeks who's to blame for this. It's Republicans in Congress and Donald Trump. They had they there have been opportunities repeatedly. It's not just Donald Trump, but it's repeatedly opportunities 
where sane, common sense Republicans have said, let's sit down and work out a compromise on how we update our immigration laws like we have every 20 years. Now, after the pushback, after the remarks at the, on the Upper West Side, uh, Eric Adams did backtrack a little bit. I'm hearing those who coming out saying Eric is right, Eric is right. But don't pick half of what you say I'm right on. Pick the other half. That Trump Republicans created this mess. And we need to fix this mess with real immigration reform. Okay, good. I'm glad you added that in. I played the whole thing so the people would see that I didn't leave that. Anyone left anything out. But good. I'm glad you're saying that. The other thing that I would be doing is I would be saying to the people of the city of New York, look, you hired me, the mayor, to help deal with these types of problems. As part of this is figuring out where the resources are going to come from and making decisions on how to allocate those resources. That includes making contracts with people who know what they're doing, getting best practices, saving money wherever we can. But it also involves understanding how to go and work with my partners in government to try to figure out solutions to these things. And sometimes when you say we're getting no support, we're getting no support, sometimes that is going to happen. That's why you learn how to deal with the governor, for example. Now, what would I do? I would say to Kathy Hochul, quietly, I would say, Kathy Hochul, you're the governor. You control a big budget also. You have two choices here. You either provide me a big check and the support to change the the budget um, in the state budget, or I am going to take that Callahan consent decree and remind everyone in the state that that consent decree was based on a right found in the state constitution. And if the city of New York goes and files suit in Onondaga County, is that a county? In Clinton County, where I went to college, and said, wait a minute, under the same reasoning as the Callahan decision, why don't we have it a requirement here in upstate New York too? That's the way you play the game, Eric. That's the way you play the game. You don't stand up and, and say, oh, I can't handle this. You're paid to handle this. And finally, I would do something that Rudy Giuliani did, that Viola LaGuardia did, that Lindsay did, that Bloomberg did, that every mayor does, which is to stand up and say we are the flagship city in the flagship state for new arrived Americans. And I would remind people of the history that every generation of migrants gets welcomed this exact same way. With protests, with complaints about the cost, with complaints that they're dirty or they're sick or they're unhealthy or whatever it is. Always the exact, anyone who thinks they're saying something that's new and innovative, oh, I support immigration, I just don't like him here, I don't like them there. Yeah. That's what people say. And part of being a mayor is standing up and saying, we get that. We get what you're feeling. We get what you're seeing. But, you know, if you look back on it, if you look back on those, on, on, on those periods, they weren't our brightest moments when the Irish and the Italians were being, were, were being dis- uh, um, discriminated against because they were unclean 
when the Jews were being discriminated against, when the Asians were, it's always the same. Always. You cannot show me a wave of immigration to New York City that did not have this same kind of challenge. And part of being mayor of the city of New York is saying we are big enough that we can handle this. And let me say one other thing, and then we'll go to some calls. Our city is not full. We had a whole gubernatorial campaign of one of the candidates doing quite well, actually, arguing that there's a migration out of our state, that we're losing population to our state. And we did. We lost a bunch. And now we're getting a little bit of it back, about 20% of it coming back. Our schools are not full. Our schools, I gave you a number last week, 1.1 million. It's down now to under 900,000. Our schools are not full. Our formula for getting reimbursement from the federal government is based on, you know, the, the, was based on having a bunch of kids. Our tax, our tax base is narrower than it was. We're coming back. And one of the ways we come back is the way we came back in the nineties and the way we came back in the seventies. And one of the interesting things about that report I read you from Mayor Giuliani's administration was, you know, we focus a lot about how the city turned around because we tackled crime. You know, one of the ways we tackled crime, we had more people here. The streets were not as empty. There were more people here. Immigration bails us out. Then it wasn't, it wasn't, um, Venezuelans. It was Dominicans then. And earlier than that, it was the Asians. And Asians came here and frankly, they were not allowed to, very often they weren't allowed to bring their whole families there. And so you had, you had challenges around that discrimination, terrible discrimination around them. So people say, what would Wiener do? Wiener would stand up and speak clearly, truthfully, say, we got this. You, the citizens of the, of, of the city of New York, I get you're concerned about it. Here are the, here are the things that we're going to try. I want you to understand why we're in this position. I want you to understand what the Callahan decision is. And you ask, what would Curtis do? Or what would other people do? I would just ignore the law. Or someone come on, I don't know who it was, come on and say, well, I would just ignore the law. Yeah, okay. You can stand up and take an oath when you get sworn in on the steps of City Hall on January 1st. So I'll uphold the laws and then say I'm not going to uphold the laws. You can do that, I guess. You really want your, is your mayor going to say that? Now, there's nothing wrong with your mayor saying I'm going to take the Callahan decision to court and try to relitigate it, whatever it is. That's one, one arrow in his. But standing up and saying, it's hopeless. I don't see a way out of this. No. I need my mayor to say, you know what? You needed big shoulders to put these problems on. You want to take slings and arrows to me. That's why I'm here. I am the guy who's going to do this. Not that I'm the guy that came in and said, oh, it was great for 20 months and now it stinks. No. I would just do it very differently. Like New York. Shoulders back, chest out. These are tough times. Mayor, Governor Abbott didn't do this to me. <laughs> Whatever it is. Come on, man. Don't fight down. Don't punch down a, to Abbott or anyone else. So there it is. WWWD, what would Wiener do? Maybe when Curtis comes in, we'll ask what WWSD. And I said we were going to do this for the first hour and do something second, but here there's so many people on the board. We'll do this a little bit past the top of the hour. 
Let's go to a quick break. When we come back, we'll take some calls and let you all get in on what you think Eric Adams should do and what you think maybe I should do with my opinions. It's Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. It's so great to have you along, and we'll see you on the other side. The God that was blessed by the gods of me and you We had a wish for to find ourselves some truth oh, What you waiting for, no, what you waiting for Finding new ways to make change Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic That guy could have been the president This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Welcome back to the middle. It's Gypsy Kings bringing us back in with some culturally appropriate music. We're talking about immigration. Let's go to some of the calls. I said we were going to go to a different subject at the top of the hour, but so many people want to get into this. We'll do this a little bit longer. Um, but let's start out with Scott in Forest Hills. Hey, Scott, welcome aboard. Okay, really quickly, because uh, I know we're pressed for time. Uh, regarding the immigration debate in general, in terms of facts and data that you need to arm yourself to make an informed opinion, I wanted to point your attention to a book. It's called The Culture of Critique by Dr. Kevin McDonald. Okay. And it points out it points out at how many people are here, what they're costing us, and what the long term trajectory for social stability is, uh, regarding the enormous numbers that are coming in and how assimilable the people who yeah, are. Yeah, I, I mean we, you another thing you can do is you can go back and look at some of the experts in eugenics and these other discredited things that came up around other immigration influxes. Yeah, you can find people who can pretty much say anything about stuff. But there is stuff that I find more credible. I mean, such as looking at how much the undocumented, the thirteen million undocumented in 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 the United States, how much they pay in social security tax, for example. Because they get a fake social security card, a social security number, then they pay social security taxes, and then they don't get to collect any of it. We do. Or the idea that people keep saying, oh, that none of, that the, the undocumented or recent immigrants don't pay taxes. Oh yeah, when they go in and buy something and pay tax on it, how, how do you think that happens? You think someone says, oh, I see you're not documented. You don't have to pay taxes. They pay sales tax all the time. So, yeah, I mean, but, but, but yeah, I, 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 I feel you. There are probably people out there who have a lot of things to say. Um, next, let's go to Janet in Bergen County. Hey, Janet, thank you for calling. You're unbelievable. I mean, it really, this is like a dream that when I listen to you talk, and you said to everybody in the very beginning that you would probably vote for that mayor again. What is the matter with you, Anthony? You have a son. Who, who would he you be running against? Who would he be running against? Me for a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. I, I, I... Okay. New York City, I hope before your son it's not going to happen where they're going to come back. You have no idea. What is the matter with you? Why do you say you I have, have no idea? Of Janet. people that are here who never got shots in the beginning, two years ago. Not one of them got a shot. 
They're putting the kids in the school, and they still didn't get the no, shot. No, they're, they're no. Every, every, kid, every kid showing up at school is getting a shot. They're giving them a couple of extra weeks, but everyone's getting shots. Wait, wait a minute. Just a second. They wouldn't let my ki- our kids back into school unless they got a shot. Yeah, they, they, they would have, have 15 days, days to wait Janet, until they get a shot. Janet, 15 days is the present law in the law. And they have the right to extend it to up to 30 days. And they've extended it to 30 days. But they think most people will be done within the first 15 days. Said, did you hear last week, this past week, the schools couldn't let so many of the kids in because they didn't have room for them? No. be in your town or two blocks away from where you live. No. They had plenty of room. No, that's not right. That's not right, Janet. Actually, I appreciate you. First of all, let me just get a couple of things out of the way that Janet said there. I can't believe you would vote for Eric Adams. Yeah, because I've seen, I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, look, I, I like Curtis a lot, but... Anyone who says their solution to the problem is to is to turn the buses around and not obey the law, I have concerns about that. And I, I generally believe as a matter of philosophy, as a lifelong Democrat, that I generally believe that Democrats do better jobs than Republicans do. But that's just politics. But I'm saying things that are critical of Eric Adams on this very same thing. And this whole idea, we've never seen anything like this. Are you out of your mind? They're never coming back. I lived in the city during the 70s. I got mugged like every third day. I lived in the cities in the 80s when I had signs in, in cars saying you already stole my stuff. I lived in the cities in, in, in after, the, uh, after 9-11, and there were literally ashes falling in Sheepshead Bay. I lived in the city um, um, during COVID when we had 40,000 deaths. We have stuff happen to us. This is a, We're a tough town. This is a tough city. We can do it. If I was the mayor, I would say stuff just like this. And we'll see you on the other side after the after the break at the top of the hour. We'll take some of your calls. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That's Graham Parker. Life gets better. There's got to be a genre of music, kind of the, the the I met the right woman genre, like of like really depressed singers who then sing a great song like How Great Life Is just because they met somebody. I guess I guess there's a lot of songs about love and all that kind of stuff, but like guys who make their bones being just miserable and curmudgeonly and sad, and then that song comes out. Speaking of which, you know, I got some great gifts for my, not a lot, but I got a couple of nice gifts for my birthday. And one of them, my friend Kitty gave did this whole genealogy workup on my family. And um, 
you know, everyone's like, well, my family did this and my family did that. My, you know, my family came, it looks like both sides of my family, interestingly, both my mom's side and my dad's side all came from, both came from Galicia, which is this region that is, I guess would now be Poland and Ukraine, um, and was the subject to a lot of persecution, all, you know, being, like there's this great picture of Wolf, you know, my great grandfather came here in the early 1900s. Stan, he was, he was big in the Furrier Union. Um, don't, if you're Peter, don't protest. And, um, he's in front of his shop and his shop all has Hebrew lettering on it. I mean, the guy, no wonder people were, you know, like you've got to assimilate. And they learned and, and three generations later, Anthony Weiner was in the United States House of Representatives. But, you know, these issues of, of tension with recent immigrants haven't changed all that much. So let's do a few more calls with this. I am eager to get to this idea of what went down with the January 6th um, trials. But if we don't get to it, we don't get to it. People, people, this is your show. This, I'm just I'm just looking after it. This is your show. Christian's on the board, 800-848-WABC. Ava, I'm sorry, Christian's on the calls. Ava's on the board. And let's get to some of these calls. First, let's go to um, JW in Westchester. Hey, Jay. Hey, Anthony. Um, I appreciate the call. And I actually, I appreciate your criticism of, you know, Mayor Adams, you know, with his uh, management of the immigration crisis, I guess. Um, yeah, you know, I come from immigrants as well, Irish and German and whatnot. But um, my question is, is, do you not think that the the federal government, the Biden administration, is somewhat responsible for, you know, six million illegal immigrants coming in, and if you and if you divide divide that by a hundred thousand, that's sixty states and sixty cities. Um, that's my question. Yeah, it's a good question. I've heard it. I've heard it expressed before. Now, it's not six million people coming in. That's how many contacts there have been at the border. There have never been more. Detentions, removals, and stops at the border in history um, than there have been under Joe Biden. But as I has, I want to be clear, that's because more people are trying, more people are coming over the border. There is a legitimate problem. The, it depends on when you say what is Joe Biden's responsibility. Now, is the people that are here in New York City? These are people seeking seeking asylum status. Joe Biden did not create. The asylum laws, the law that allows those people to come here and ask for asylum. He did not make those. He did not make the backlog that exists in processing them. That's why I blame Donald Trump. That backlog went from about a year under Donald Trump to about three years under now. It's so closer to four years. So he didn't make that. It's not it's not Joe Biden's responsibility of how the Congress has allocated money for things like preventing fentanyl from coming in and and screening people at the border and instead spending money on building a few miles, relatively speaking, of wall. I just I think that a lot of this is not the executive branch's pra- execution of the law. It is the laws. And I'll, I will say that there are tensions on both left and right about immigration laws. But it has been over the last 25 years or so, maybe not that much, it has been the Republicans that have walked away from the table rather than do comprehensive immigration reform where we keep up with these things. 
where we make the changes that we need to make every so often in our laws. That's the important thing here. So you want to blame Biden? No, I don't think I, I think he's relatively low on the list. Now, is he doing a good job articulating all this? Joe Biden is lousy at articulating anything. He's not a good articulator. That's not his strength. And that's a problem because then it's left to people like Eric Adams and Anthony Weiner to articulate it. And he's not doing a good job. And as many people listening to this show, it's not enough. Let's see. what. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jay. Well, I'm just saying we can look to the past and blame past uh, policies. But, I mean, we have you know, the current am- administration. And do we not think that there's something they could do to – you know, to shutter the gates and and slow down the process because it's affecting Chicago. And but, Jay, but, Jay, you say you don't look the policies. This isn't a policy. These are Im- immigration law. Thank you, Jay. Close again. Immigration law fills bulk, books. There are immigration lawyers that specialize in it. There's a whole subcommittee in, in the, in the, on the Judiciary Committee of the House of Representatives just on immigration. These are laws. People come in under the laws, get excluded under the laws, get get benefits or not benefits under laws. This whole idea of a policy. Donald Trump came down the steps at Trump whatever in 2015 and every third word out of his mouth was about immigration. When he was in when he was the president, can someone please point to me the immigration law that he got passed? Can you even show me one that he proposed? You think the asylum laws that exist today weren't the asylum laws under Donald Trump? No, they were they were there. Did he say, I'm going to be Nixon going to China? You know my positions on immigration. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to make this law. I'm going to and I invite Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and whoever else wants to sit down. He had the House and the Senate and the presidency in his party. And so what did he do with it? So when, he, when when people say, well, what about the policy of this or the policy? No, you mean the law. I mean, let's, let's, let's use it. Let's use the language right. Deborah and Bay Ridge, go ahead. Welcome aboard. Oh, thank you so much, Anthony. We the people. See, Curtis is my man. I love Curtis. So do I. I'll tell you something. Yeah, I know you do. And I, I love listening to you. I'm going to say this. My people came over from England to, to escape persecution, religious persecution in the 1600s. So I had an uncle, a great, 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 great uncle, fought in the American Revolution against British tyranny and the mad King George. Well, I see there's a war coming. You could call me conspiratorial. There's a war coming, and and it's coming in from the southern border. We're, We're being invaded. We're being invaded, and we can argue all we want. Well, Mayor Adams, this one, the, the madman, you can argue all you want about all these people. But the point is, we are being invaded and at the cost. You mean, of you mean, I know, I, I understand. But, Deborah, we're constantly invading people. Your forefathers invaded this country and slaughtered a, a bunch of a bunch of people who lived here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tension. It is. I get it. You, I mean, borders are tough. Law, you know, this is this is tough. But this whole idea, you know, I read you the numbers. We had hundreds of thousands of people, you know, coming in in the 1990s. Also, we're going to manage this. We have to have adults legislating, though. We can't just throw up our hands like Eric Adams did in that town hall meeting, like you're doing in this call. 
No, we have to come up with reasonable laws so that people like your great-great-great-grandparents and my great-grandparents who were fleeing persecution can come to these shores and find and find salvation and be safe. And that's what the asylum laws are supposed to be for. Now, they're not being used like that right now. Make no mistake about it. The asylum laws were not intended to be a catch-all, everything, I just want to get out of my country, whatever. Some people are going to be found to be eligible for asylum, and some people are not. But you know how you do that? You come up with laws, and you come up with courts, and you come up with hearings, and you come up with lawyers. And you say you can only do it in this, and you and you can't leave this area, and, and we're going to do it within 30 days, not within four years. We need adults to do that. We need a president, and we need a legislature, and we need both parties. In the campaign of 2008, in 2008, yeah, 2008, you had Cruz running and you had Marco Rubio running. I think this is right. Might have been, might have been 16. And because Marco Rubio was part of a group of eight, four Democrats, four Republicans who said, let's try to work this out. Just because he was willing to sit down and do that. His legs were chopped out from under him. He was said he's in favor of amnesty and he will never be a candidate for president again. And the Republicans, that was the last time they ever, they, they set foot anywhere near a table to let's make some compromises on this stuff. We need both parties. And as I said last week, and I'll say it again, anyone wants to call up and disagree, the Republicans love this issue. They want the issue. They don't want a solution. If they did, when they had the presidency, they would have done something about it. If they did, when they had the House and the Senate and a, and a, and a president that, that they adore, they would have done something about it. If they did, you would see members of Congress from the New York area who are Republicans talking about the laws they're sponsoring in order to solve this problem. They ain't. They love it. And if I was mayor, what would Wiener do? I'd be saying stuff like this. I'd be calling them out. I wouldn't say we're helpless. I wouldn't call them madmen. I'm just saying you're not doing your job. I would invite every member of Congress. This, this is something Eric should do. I should mention this to Curtis. I would invite every member of Congress from the New York City, in, in my city, to come to Gracie Mansion, and I would lock the doors, and I would say, guys, I'm about to make a presentation about the impact this is having on your constituents and mine, and I want to hear what you plan to do about it. And if people say, well, I just want to call people names, then at the end of the meeting, I would walk out there and say, these are the people that said they want, were willing to help, and these are the people that said, I just want to call people names and, and storm out of the, you know, whatever it is. It's leading. It's being the mayor. Let's go to, 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 to uh, we haven't heard from George in a while. Let's go from George in Rockland County. Hey, George, welcome aboard. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, and I like to call you Congressman uh, Wiener, okay? Uh, you know, you thought some, uh, you're showing some uh, uh, thinking here, and I uh, like to ask you, okay, suppose uh, that we had a magic wand and we elevate you to be the person in this country of us, okay, that as soon as a migrant crosses the border, take responsibility on them, okay? Other than rhetoric, what actually would you do? How would you make sure that from the moment they cross the border, 
while they're going through the asylum, okay, you know, they are being watched for, planned for, and make sure for, for the time that they are in this country, okay, they're not just wandering around aimlessly. Well, no one's... But they, George, hey, George, you said if I had a magic wand. Let me go back even further. Never mind when they come in. I wouldn't have them come in. If I could wave a magic wand and I can come up with the Anthony Weiner Immigration Reform Act of 2023, here's what it would be. First of all, I think that the president, that President Trump and people who say we need to do more security at our border, I agree with that. I think we should invest more at the border if that means building walls. It's not practical a lot of places, but I'm in favor of doing that. I'm in favor of bolstering um, efforts at the wall to make sure that people who come in, come in through a formalized process. Second, I would reform the immigration laws looking at a couple of things. One, I would say if you have skills that we want in this country, if you have attributes that we have, if you're willing to pick pick strawberries and we have a shortage of stories, we, if you are willing to pick almonds, you're we are going to let you come in. We're going to let you work. We're going to let you leave if you want to. If you just want to come in and work temporarily and it, it helps out our economy, I'm in favor of doing that. Secondly, I believe in keeping families, in keeping families together. If your family is divided, if you have people who are trying to get in to unify your family, I think there's nothing better than, than, than America with, with a, with a full intact family here. Third, for those that are undocumented that are already here, I don't say we give them amnesty. We we make them pay a fine. We put them at the end of the line. And if they can show they pay their taxes, they learn the English language, they've been good citizens, they're not breaking the law, then we say we're going to give you this temporary worker card until we get to you. It might take us a little while because we have other people who have been waiting online. We don't want you to jump ahead. And then you can now work with this document. You can pay taxes with this document. And you don't have to fear that you're going to be thrown out of the country if you have this document. I would say to the employers, I would say employers, if you hire people who are not American citizens, who don't have a legitimate document like this one we're putting out, you're responsible to, you're going to pay some fines. And I'm going to say that if we have a system that we set up for things to make sure that we are a place that can live up to what it says on the Statue of Liberty and be that beacon of hope, we are going to invest in having those resources. We're not going to starve them. So that means having even if we have to have a hundred trailers along the along the border with air conditioning in them where someone sits behind a desk and they have hearings within a month or within two months for their asylum claim. And if you are fearful of persecution, if you are being if you're fearful of being harmed, if you're if, if, uh, if you're fear of genital mutilation or a gang or something like that, this is a country where you can come and be safe. Not like what they said to some people's forefathers where they turned them away. But I would fund that program and I would make sure that it's quick and it's efficient. And then what I would say, I would say the next thing is we should, all of us, understand that although we might resent these people who came in after us, they're like we are as well. They're not, they're not numbers. They're human beings. And if you're a child, if you're a child that came to our city, like 19,000 of these children, you have done nothing wrong. You're not something to be scorned. You're not something to be criticized. You're not something to be spit at. You're not something to be. You are someone. You are God's. You're a child. And if you're in New York City and you're a child or you're in New York State and you're a child, you've got to repeat, got to go to school. It's the law. I don't care where you came from. You can't wander the street. So that in two and a half minutes, in answer to George's question, is the Anthony Weiner Immigration Reform Act of 2023. Some people aren't going to like it because I built a wall. Some people aren't going to like it because I wanted to reunify families. Some people aren't going to like it because I said we got to throw people out who aren't eligible for asylum quickly. 
And if someone wants to call up and offer something else, we can have a conversation. If I had any, there are, there are, there are 15 people on the board. I bet you if the 15 of us got together, we can probably come up with some solutions to these things. But not when Eric Adams is saying, oh, I can't do it. It's the end of the world. Oh, my God, my city's falling apart. And not when, when Donald Trump and, and, and DeSantis is saying I'm going to shoot people on sight. That's not serious, folks. Yeah, I'm not saying these problems are easy. But they're doable for Americans. We're America. Damn it. Can I say damn it, Ava? We're Americans. We're New Yorkers. Thank you. We're New Yorkers. We live for, we, this is what we do. We take tough situations and we become better and better and better. And every generation is better. Everyone is better. And it's not in spite of the waves of immigration. It's because of them. This one is a mess. No doubt about it. It's a mess. But it's a mess created by lawmakers who didn't want to do their jobs. But now that we were dealt that hand, that's the hand we were dealt. We sometimes, if you want to run the city of New York, you get dealt tough hands. This is a tough hand. Shoulders back, chest out, head in the air. We're New Yorkers. And we'll be right back. Life stretches before me, an endless mystery. Nothing can bore me when she's with me. I feel the heartbeat of the world in the hands of this girl. But it takes so much time to to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Day haircut 100 bringing us back in. I noticed I picked kind of optimistic music because I am. I am. I just kind of think that we're, 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 we're a great country, man. And we are good at stuff. We're good at figuring stuff out. We bump into each other. We bounce, especially in New York City. We bounce off each other like molecules in a microwave. But at the end of the day, we get better and better. And you go, I told you at the top of the show. I found this document called The Newest New Yorkers. Rudy Giuliani is economic development and planning and city planning. It's, it's a, just a report on migration into the city and how heavy it had been between 90 and 94. 
And it's basically a pretty dry factual thing. But it's interesting. I mean, it basically, between 1970 and 1980, the city lost 10% of its population. That is an enormous amount. That's like twice as much as we lost during COVID. And were it not for the immigrants in the 1970s, the city's population would have declined by 20%. In other words, people were moving, just like today, people were moving out in droves and they were moving in in droves. But many more people were moving out and we were very concerned about it. You read this document. The city's population grew by 3.5% in the 1980s. And by the way, here's what, here's another reason why this is important. We want people coming here to New York because when they go to Florida, they go to Arizona, they go to California, we lose population, but we also lose representation in Congress and we lose clout. So we want to be a place that, that recently recognized. Now, everyone agrees they should come legally, they should come lawfully, they should come according to the rules, and these people have. We might not like those rules, and I, I know I've got some real concerns about it. Let's go to uh, Nicholas in Cliffside, New Jersey. Welcome, Nicholas. Yes. Hi, Anthony. I actually agree with a lot of what you say, even though I'm a Republican and I support Trump. But I have a question for you. You're talking about the right to housing law and how we can't ignore the law. But then you've also mentioned that people apply for asylum. They're denied asylum years later by judges, but they never get deported back to their country. So why is it okay for some laws to be followed, but other laws can be ignored. Why don't we go after these judges and put these judges in jail that were breaking the yeah, law? Yeah, so, no, Nicholas, you raised something that I mentioned on the air last week that is a fascinating element of this, that that there are really two, there are, there's two different processes. First, there's the process to determine whether or not the asylum applicant will be allowed to be granted legal status protection in this country as an asylee. And then when the answer is no, as amazing as it sounds, it's a separate process to have that person removed. It's not the same process. And that, too, is under law. That's one of the things I think we should change. I think that it should be changed that you take – that you basically make it one process rather than making it two. Now, to have someone removed generally means that they're going back into a bad situation. Even – they might not be technically eligible for asylum, but they're going back into a bad situation, and a lot of – um, a lot of immigration judges just don't want to have those orders. But it's definitely – Nicholas is not wrong. It is part of the problem that our, our asylum system and, – and relative – again, relatively few people came, come to, to – uh, traditionally come via the asylum process. Let me see if I have in this document where I talked about that Rudy Giuliani's administration did. Here it is. Okay. Between 19 – 82 and 1989, the average asylum cases per year coming to New York City per year was 4,356. Now, it rose between 1990 and 1994. It went up to 15,000 between 90 and 94 per year. That's still, I mean, still a lot, but compared to what we're getting, it's nothing. We're getting that like basically in a month. This was never intended to be, but in a strange way, you ask why I, I blame Trump. By starving the system and you make the backlog longer, it becomes more of an invitation for abuse. So you might say, oh, the Republicans are doing the right thing, starving the immigration system because they think it's so bad. No, sometimes you, you, you're making it worse by doing that, and I think they know that. Uh, next, let's go. Tony and Clifton. Hey, Tony, I haven't heard from you in a while. Welcome back. 
I want to tell you that when I heard your music, I was listening to Mark Anthony when I came home from the store, and I love Mark Anthony. And I think that kind of music really makes people feel good, (laughs) the Latin music that you were playing. I loved it, and I had to tell you. Oh, good. So, you know, Anthony, I always want to know what you're thinking, even though we we usually never agree. If you hear thunder, we're in the middle of a storm here, so it's not my TV. But I wanted to ask you. For your, you know, for your family, you know, is there any concerns you have that you feel are issues with all the illegals coming in with respect to maybe just let's look at a couple of things, not just the health thing, but also the safety thing, because, you know, a lot of people are saying they have their fear of who's coming in. Nobody knows who they are. And, you know, in uh, Pennsylvania last weekend in Chester County, they started their weekend in that town getting told by the district attorney that someone escaped. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah. And he, he was someone who came from, I think it was Brazil, and then he came here. And he had been in jail now for stabbing someone. And then in Brazil, he had a crime, too, you know, but now he escaped the prison. Um, Yeah, no, I I think in answer to your question, Tony, and I appreciate it, in answer to your question, yeah, I have a concern about crime. I think that that, uh, I think crime is still too high and we should do everything we can to get it lower. And if you have 100,000 people, if you grab 100,000 people in any population, I'm sure you're going to have some people in any population of 100,000 that are going to be problematic. Here's what makes me believe that this population is probably less likely to commit crimes than anyone than any other 100,000. These are people that came and are following a legal process, um, even sometimes to their detriment. What I mean by that is that they came, they waited online to go see a, 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 a border official or an ICE officer. They registered. They went to a, a New York City clearinghouse. They were told about the date that they had to return. Sometimes it's years from now. And they're following the rules. There are 58,000 some odd that are not in the shelter system that probably are out there working. I'm just saying that they're, that I'm concerned about anyone committing a crime. Now you can take a, of, I can probably find in any line of work, I can probably find a story about someone who committed a crime in that line of work. I can probably find from any community. I can probably find from any country of origin. I don't think that's really what this is about. I think that this is about this general fear that we sometimes have in our country. Well, I say sometimes, it's always, that the next population of people that comes in are going to be somehow different than we are, and that worries us. And I guess there's a certain nat- – maybe that's natural. I don't know. And it was the same way. You know, I talked about the 1990s repeatedly, this just because it was a Giuliani era that a lot of us maybe have forgotten. Then the big population was Dominican. And there were a lot of people saying that unlike the Puerto Ricans, the Dominicans don't – they're not going to assimilate as well. Well, next thing you know, there was a wave of Mexicans that came in, and that community started having their conflicts. And now the Mexicans have been here a little while, and there's another – and it was the same way with with folks who were coming from Europe. It's the same thing. You know, we have this notion that, oh, my goodness, this is such a new and unique circumstance. It's really not. It's always been. and But the, here's what is different. Here's what is different. 
is that in the past, when we've had challenges, we picked up our pen and wrote new laws. Now, some of them were bad, like the Alien Sedition Acts, bad. The, um, the, the, the ones that, 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 uh, that separated families of the, of the Chinese and allowed us to, to the ones that led to 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 us um, uh, uh, rounding up Japanese Americans. Some of them were bad because they were based on fear, and we may get it wrong, but at least we tried to do things. And you know, we had the Immigration Act of 1986. We had the Immigration Act of 1990. We we do them every 10, 20 years or so. And we need to do it again. But that doesn't mean there are not going to be some people who come here from other countries who don't pay their taxes or who commit crimes or who mug somebody. That's going to happen. I mean, but but again, if you want it, you can take probably any hundred thousand at random in New York City and you'll probably find some criminals in there. Not a lot, but you'll probably find some criminals in there. So we're getting close. I wanted to do this other big subject. I may have to put it off and use it on the middle unplug this uh, this week. Um, I wanted to talk about um, some of it, but here's what we're going to do. There are some people that still want to talk about this issue. We'll talk about it a little bit more, and uh, then we'll talk about the J6 thing maybe next week or the week after, whenever we get some time. Or they'll just add a third hour to my show. Who knows? Anything's possible. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Styles bring us in, treat people with kindness. I think that's something we all aspire to do. Let's do a few more calls about immigration, the migrant crisis. See, I actually don't. I, like, I realize one of the things I like about this issue is it's a good combination. I, I, I feel like I'm helping a little bit with this one, right? Because I think people are under some misconceptions that are legitimate. It's not just about fear and anger. It's there are some misconceptions that people have. Joe thinks I have one. Joe in Long Island, go ahead, Joe. One of one of the misconceptions you have is that the people that are coming now is the same as my grandparents that came because they're not because when my grandparents came here, they worked or they didn't eat. 
And if they didn't pay the rent, there was a sponsor. These people now, this Eric Adams says it's going to ruin the city. He's ruining the city because he says, well, I can't, I can't ignore the law, the right to shelter law, but he, he ignores federal law. Every day, not cooperating with ICE. The liberals are all the same. No, 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 but but hold on. And we don't want a a resolution because you want us to give the store away. We'll fight this till the end. Well, but I don't... don't, All right, Joe. Well, let me just take Joe's points. You know, one is, again, it's not an uncommon one. Say, well, past generations came in different circumstances. Well, in fact, the state constitution referenced that is used to justify the right to housing was a depression era um, thing. It was like it's been in the law for a long time and that many of the programs that we passed to, to provide a safety net provided a safety net for people who came here from other places. Secondly, this idea that you know, you want to comply with some laws and not with other laws and so cooperate with ICE. I'm going to explain for the umpteenth time what the sanctuary city idea is about. It is about this concept that Republicans and Democrats alike in cities and towns and counties all over the country have come to the grips with the idea that we don't want a police state where people go knocking on people's doors demanding to see their papers. Not because we don't want to enforce the law, but because we do want to enforce the law. And we want people who are documented, undocumented, whatever, if they're a victim of a crime, we want them to report it. Why? So we don't, other people don't become victims. So we lock up the bad guys. We want them to serve on, uh, as, as witnesses to crimes. We want them to come forward and deal with the authorities because what cops want to do is stop crimes and catch criminals. And that's why this sanctuary city policy is one that is in the place in so many areas. It doesn't have anything to do with any kind of fancy benefit that they're getting. I mean, these issues get conflated. But the idea of like, why don't they do it the same way my parents did? Well, to be honest with you, a lot of people came in at a time where there are virtually no restrictions. We had a million people come in, you know, for a while there. We're coming in a year. You know, and we're just like, fine, come on in. Why? Because we needed to fill up our country. We needed workers. We, and, and there is this conflict now about whether or not we should let them work. And let me just, just again, reiterate this issue. It really is two sides. You've got to decide which camp you're in. You either want to save the taxpayers money and you do that by letting them work. Then they go out and get jobs. They're allowed to go out and get jobs. They find employment and they start paying taxes, and they stop sleeping in shelters. Okay, that's one. That's the argument for having them work. The argument for not letting them work is the reason that the restriction was put in the law in the first place, is you don't want to create an incentive to use an asylum program as a worker program, as a just a tool to get in here to then go to work. It's not an easy call. I don't know which side I am on it. I want to save the city money right now, so I probably would say let them work. But it's a close call. But it's a policy call. It's a call for legislators. All right, let's go to a couple of other issues here because some people have been waiting a long time, including our good friend Richard in Texas. Hey, Richard, welcome back. Hi, how are you? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk about immigration because you're talking great things, but I just wanted to mention one thing. 
uh, one of the callers, I think, was last week. He uh, talked. You talked about the pseudonyms on the emails, but what you failed to leave out in your defense of that, saying it's a common thing, is it is not common to CC your son, and in those discussions with those crooked foreign governments, include him on it so he could see what the vice president Biden at the time was discussing with that. Unless I'm missing something, and during those years, yeah. Well, uh, no, you. Uh, what you're missing is that is that. All of these demands to see these emails, no one's seen these emails. But you're you're making stuff up, Hal. You're no, making I, stuff up. No, first of all, all right, let's, let's say the couple. I appreciate Richard. And one of the reasons I wanted to take this call is I have heard people losing their marbles about the idea that high-ranking government officials, including the President of the United States, the Secretary of State, the Vice President, and even low-level ones like a member of Congress that is talking on the microphone right now, don't use the email address Anthony Weiner at, at WhiteHouse.gov and Joe Biden. Of course not. Wait, I mean, have you people never worked in a business or never worked with an IT person before? Of course they're not using their names. Imagine if it was Joe Biden at WhiteHouse.gov. You'd be able to think about it for a second. And then Richard goes to, oh, but he's seeing him on this, and no one's seen those emails. They're not in the public domain, like seizing. By the way, I would email from my account all the time, seeing a, a, a family member of or whatever it is, and uh, making plans for things. I mean, oh, my God, my God. Everything, if you want to, to find the most pernicious explanation of everything, you can probably do it. But aren't you getting tired of that right now? Use, yes, the vice president of the United States did not use Joe.Biden at WhiteHouse.gov. <laughs> yes. Congratulations, Miranda Devine. You cracked the case. Oh, Lord. And, oh, yeah, and there's a family member on the email. Let's assume for a moment there was a family member on the email. Let's assume that. I know we love the idea that everyone has their official account and their unofficial account, and you never let the two things mix. I know. Okay. And I I defy anyone in this audience who has a work email address and a personal email address to say that they never, ever, whatever – you know, got an email about the schedule that they had off that week and forwarded to their wives and said, look, I've got off Thursday. I mean, we're going nuts now. We're just going nuts. It's been five years of this. Hunter Biden traded on his father's name repeatedly to make money. Just like Donald Trump's kids, just like the Bush family, just like whoever else. I wish, you know, I didn't have a, you know, dad to trade their name on. Yes, it happened. But all this time, all of these documents, all of these money reports, everything else hasn't attached the president to it. And Comer just put out one of those crazy line things. You know, this guy knows that guy and this guy knows this guy. Therefore, this third thing happened. Joe Biden's name wasn't even on that chart. But yes, Joseph Biden did not have VP at UnitedStatesOfAmerica.com. <laughs> Do we know what his name was? Has that come out? I'm sure. You know, I, I wonder if I have it in my address, in my emails at some point. I'm sure I got an email before the guy decided he didn't like me. I never got along with Joe very well. 
that 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 opening is not that opening where he says he never liked me. It's true. He and I, I had a big fight with him in uh, 2010, I think 2009 or 10, when when um, Barack Obama was chopping our legs out from under us by extending the Bush tax cuts, and so he sent Joe Biden to the Hill to like explain to us why it was the right thing to do, and I got up and I ripped him a new one, and he didn't like it, and got in my face and, you know, leaked his staff, leaked all the stuff to the, in the press about what a jerk I was and everything else. So I never got along that well with, with Joe Biden. Um, so I don't know if you ever sent me an email from Joe.Biden. And I told you what mine was. Mine was Chef Twan, C8, cause I needed, I think I needed eight characters. So Twan, my friend Steve Carney used to call me Twan short for Antoine. I don't know why I put Chef at the beginning of it. So it was Chef Twan at mail.house.gov. I did not have, and you know, Going through my, my, I bet you I'd be stunned if any member of Congress had their name as their member, as whatever it is. So certainly not the vice president. All right. So we have a few minutes. Let's go to a final break. And then at the top of the hour, Curtis Lee was going to come in. I think he's, he's probably hearing how fired up I am. And he's probably upset that I said that I would probably vote for Eric Adams if he ran for election. But I don't know. Maybe Curtis doesn't run. Or maybe Curtis puts me on the payroll to give him some advice on how to reach out to mainstream Democrats. We'll see you on the other side. It's the middle. Radio 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Of love was only true in fairy tales Meant for someone else, but not for me This is a weird version. Where'd you guys find this? Love's out to get me So this is... That's the way it seems So this is supposed to be... Neil Diamond doing I'm a Believer. And they found some... I mean, it's interesting. Let's hear it a little bit. Okay. So, what's the best thing about that song is its energy. It's... Alright. Neil Diamond wrote this song. Uh, so we're wrapping up Hour 2 of The Middle. This has been great. A good conversation. And... It started where I want to end it, which is, you know, talking about how I think that our leaders, particularly our mayor, should talk about this issue. That we don't need him saying, play the whole thing at the top, sorry if you missed it, basically almost three minutes of him saying things like, I've never seen a problem that we could, that like this, that I couldn't see the end of. I don't know how we do it. They, them, this is, it's going to cost us so much money. And basically, Giving up, saying for 20, I was doing great for 20 months and now this. 
And it reminds me of what Trump says about COVID. Yeah, you get judged on your entire four-year term, man. And these are problems that we face, and I know it's challenging. And I guess there are different types of people who want to talk. You know, some people who, you know, I, I hear Sid, you know, Sid on, on in the morning. He says this thing he does. He says, I don't care. I just don't want him here. Fine. That's not a, I don't support that position, but it's a clear position. And then there are people who wrap up their demagoguery in fancy paper and say, well, they don't do this or they don't do that. And then there are people who just don't understand the way this all this whole system works. And I think part of being a leader, part of being the mayor of the city of New York is you stand up and you talk to all of those people. You say, you don't want them there. I do want immigrants coming to our city. It's not the same way it was when it used to be. Well, for the for the large part, it is. In that we always have rules and we always have they have to be followed and sometimes they get abused. And we have legislators who have to fix them. And to the third group who don't understand this, who like are literally trying to figure it out and they hear people yelling and screaming about I'm going to turn the buses around and I'm going to shoot people on sight at the border. I think those people, you know, talking to those people honestly like adults is the way to go. I see Matt on the board and I see Janet on the board still saying that Trump pushed DACA. That's not true. He floated this idea of a 10 or a 15, I can't remember what it was, 15 years in the future, maybe doing something for the dreamers, saying we won't deport you now. But that was, and it was only on the condition that he did a wall and didn't do anything about amnesty, not amnesty, about um, asylum. And it was never reduced to a proposal. It was just kind of something he said. I mean, the bottom line, he never, he never said, I, here's, here's the law I want, I want to see passed. And by the way, if you're going to say to people, come forward, like this is the same mistake Bush did, come forward and then we'll process you, but you got to go to your home country, whatever it is. No one trusts that the government is going to be on the level. So Trump never, you know, he might have said something, but Trump says stuff. He doesn't have any fidelity to it. But that's great. Dreamers are one part of the problem. The dreamers doesn't do anything to help us with the present problem. So Curtis is going to come in at four o'clock for left versus right. He just came for you. Know, you've been hearing in Gnome's updates that he has been protesting the location. I think, by the way, saying it's appropriate place or inappropriate place, I think that's fair if you really mean it. If you're not just, it's not just a way to say that I don't want. And 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 even that, I don't think that. I don't think that Adams did a very good job with. You're saying how many of you have organized to stop what they are doing to us? No, that's not. That's not how you lead. But that's what Eric Adams said at that town hall meeting. Organize what they are doing to us. Who's the they? The they is the, the legislator. You gotta deal with those people. Have a meeting. Call them in. Tell them exactly what it is you want. And then you say, well, give us a whole bunch of money and give them work permits. Neither one of those things are something that the, that, that Biden can do on his own. So we're gonna talk about some of this with Curtis Lewa. And he's also, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about what Andrew Cuomo and Anthony Weiner and uh, have in common, and I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with Canarsie, which is Curtis Lee with Stomping Ground. It's been so great to have you along. If you missed any part of this, this will be available as a podcast. 
Thank you so much for all the support. So great to have you along. And stay tuned on the other side of the break. We'll have Left versus Right with Curtis Lee. 